You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare Alley, the spooky little side street in between regularly scheduled episodes of Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And today we are talking with writer, director, filmmakers. Producers. Producers. Michael Licini and David Amito, whose film Antrim has gone viral on TikTok (laughs) and has cursed us both. Cursed us both. Yep. We survived long enough to release this episode, though, which is really beneficial for them. Really, just a few weeks ago, we watched The Ring and then Antrim. It's that, been a. This is the end. It's been a cursed month. Yeah. A cursed month here at Nightmare on Film Street. It's been a cursed month everywhere. It's cursedly hot in this room. <laughs> it is also cursedly hot. Yeah, so Antrim, if you haven't heard of it, is this underground, found footage ish style film. It's a uh, mockumentary esque film uh, with a curse. It's the only movie that we've ever been given a legal warning before watching. Yeah, if you don't know a lot about Antrim, if this is the first time you're hearing about it, I highly recommend you check it out um, either before listening to this episode or as this episode starts to get real good because the less you know about Antrim going into it, the better. Definitely. It's, it's got a full atmospheric kind of marketing campaign similar to the Blair Witch Project, if you remember all of the hype and the what is real, what is fake aspect with that. Um, so definitely go into Antrim Untainted if you can. It is currently available on VOD. It's streaming on Prime. It's on Vudu. It's everywhere. So check it out if you can. Find it and then listen to this interview. It, this interview isn't spoilery, though. I mean, we do delve into some of the the filmmaking process. So the veil is a little bit lifted on the um, the cursed nature of Antrim. But we don't spoil the plot of the film at all. And it's really good. It's really, really fucking good. I was so surprised at how much both of us enjoyed this. I wasn't surprised. This is so in my wheelhouse. (laughs) This is up my nightmare alley. (laughs) I was definitely that person that assumed I had this movie figured out. Like, okay, I know what's going on. I really enjoyed it. I really can't wait to hear what you all think about it. And I'm really excited to share with you our interview with the directors and writers, the filmmakers responsible for Antrim, David Amito and Michael Licini. Before we get into it, though, enjoy the trailer for Antrim. This is the forest where the devil landed when he was cast out of heaven. And at that spot, we'll find the entrance to hell. The Antrim. The deeper we dig, the more the forest around us becomes darker. And with each layer that we pass, deeper in hell we'll be.
David, Michael, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Yes, thank you so much for having us. We're really excited. To get into it, do you guys want to tell us, for anybody that isn't familiar with Antrim, just like a little story behind the film? Yeah, sure. Um, We had been uh, working together for quite a while, Michael and I. Uh, We had, at this point, shot two short films and a... uh, an online series called uh, Who is Mr. Tom? And uh, at that point, we really wanted to make the feature film version of that, but we just didn't have the budget. And we were like shortlisted in this competition that didn't really go very well because we were at odds with the people that were, were hosting it in terms of the deals they were offering. So we were like, oh, we, we really should just make our own film. And uh, we were working on this one haunted house film. And uh, around that time, I had this thought that basically what would what would really scare me if I was to watch a horror film and it was that this image suddenly came to me that if if I was told that I was watching a a film that was cursed that was haunted in some way and that would would affect me physically if I was to watch it I think that would put my entire viewing experience with anxiety with with kind of dread and um, it really kind of frightened me and I mentioned it to Mike and he responded really really well to it and um, later on, we kind of realized that because we'd been working together for many, many years, that there, there was a, a concept of that, uh, of, of watching a, a, a piece of work that was, that was cursed or haunted in some way, that was like corrupted inside of it, was uh, something that we had already spoken about a year or two before. So our, we've, we have a very tight-knit like uh, creative relationship and our ideas are kind of just all over the place. And when this idea came, we both were like, yes, this is, this is the one. And um, we, for Mr. Tom as well, it was a web series that was also um, interactive in a way. So it would allow uh, the viewers to basically interact with the lead character. It was this kind of um, exorcist with a physical deformity that really weighed on, on, on himself emotionally. And people could direct questions to them and to Mr. Tom and um, and Tom would respond, although he has a temper and he, he responds in all sorts of different ways. So so basically uh, people grew connected to that. But we also grew fond of blending the line of what reality and what's not real, um, where the fictitious line of the movie like ends and begins and kind of pouring that out in, into the real world and we just really got a kick out of a story that uh, isn't limited by the runtime of the film or the, or the series or whatever that is. And Antrim is just an extension of that work. Um, yeah. Mike, would you, yeah. would you say that captures it? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I wholeheartedly approve. And, and I want to speak to that, that theme of our work because this, it, it all started kind of with Mr. Tom in that series. And we realized how incredible it was that one week we would post one video featuring this character and put it online and then we would not know where to take the next episode until we read the comments that week of that video that's so cool and then someone would say something that Dave and I would be like oh that's brilliant like (laughs) not that they were guiding the story but just how they actually reacted to the character in the drama they're just reacting to the story and we would feed off of that and it became a very exciting like we, we made this web series, I guess, over a, a few months. And that energy and that like borderline between fiction and reality became very blurred for even David and I, because David was the one who, David was Mr. Tom. So, you know, one week he'd be in this like deformed makeup 
and we'd be like shooting guerrilla style all over Toronto without <laughs> permission. Like we we had Mr. Tom breaking out of a hospital and we had to film a scene of him like breaking out of a hospital with his like ass hanging out of his <laughs> like and you know we did that at like St. Michael's downtown without permission and so they yeah, exactly. had been like, we, we literally did have to break out of a hospital. We didn't have permission, didn't have like a crew, didn't have insurance. We were just we just ran into a hospital and then broke out of it. So that was the kind of like run and gun kind of production we were running. And so when David, you know, introduced this concept that he had for a film, it immediately like lit that fire that we were both in at that time, which was like this creative theme we had of totally blurring the line between what's real and what's not real, even for our, ourselves and especially for our audience. So the idea of making an audience member actually a lead character of their own horror movie is sort of like really what got me going about this idea that he was pitching because you know, like you watch like Scream and like Ghostface is definitely not going to come kill you. It's yeah. only concerned with Ned Campbell and Courtney Cox and David Arquette. But, you know, the monster in Antrim is it could come for, for you. And I, I liked that kind of assault, the idea of that assault initially. And, and we took it and ran with it. We thought it would be like kind of an explosive first movie for us. It's it's so interesting to hear you talk about it like that, too, because, yeah, movies are for an audience, uh, like a multiple amount of people. But you've made Antrim specifically for the one person that's watching it at that time. It's it's an approach you almost only see in VR. Is, is VR something that you guys are thinking about dabbling in in the future? Uh, uh, you, well, <laughs> I, I love that stuff for sure. Like video gaming, like you get me going about horror video games you want for another hour but i i wouldn't say no to it but it's not something we immediately have on on the on the menu quite yet but go ahead dave too yeah well i've been speaking to a friend of mine who who has gotten into that um into vr she's in a vr production company and it's just incredible what they can do with vr how a narrative can be driven by where your eyes look mm -hmm. in in a story and, and if the story is moved by what is grabbing the attention of the viewer. It's really interesting to make a tailor-made story for, uh, for everyone that's watching it and, and, and be taken mm -hmm. down the path that they're naturally like inclined to. And I think those possibilities, those possibilities are amazing. I personally hate those like choose your own adventure stuff. I like, I always hated the books. I hated <laughs> the like, I, you know, I just can't, I could, every time I would choose a thing, I would be wondering what it, what am I missing out on? What do I have to go back on to like see? And then it splints into like a number of different sub stories. And it, it was too uh, nerve wracking for me to watch that. So if I don't know I'm making a choice and it's happening by the attention of my eyes, um, I would be very interested in that kind of VR. It's a, it sounds like yeah, you might cool. not be very interested in the next five years of Netflix, though, <laughs> I think that's where it's headed. <laughs> yeah, they just came out with that Kimmy Schmidt interactive yeah. or whatever. I saw that, yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, it's cool, though, because... Um, so, Antrim, you've, you've found a way to make it almost interactive while not being. I mean, you've taken kind of, like, the best mm. fears from the tape of The Ring and kind of, like, the, <laughs> the phenomena of the Blair Witch Project Actually, when we first heard about Andrum, it was at a film festival and someone just told us offhand, like there was this movie that did a screening and like a priest blessed it or something. <laughs> like, did that actually happen? Oh, wow. <laughs> Were you, that was in Italy? Were you in Italy? No, no. It was just somewhere in the, I can't even remember which film festival now. It was just an attendee, but they were like, yeah, there's this film going around and they actually had to 
like bless the screening. And I was like, what is this movie? It it did happen. It happened at the Fanta Film Festival, right? Wow. In in Italy. Yeah. In Rome. Yeah. Yeah. That's so crazy. (laughs) So that wasn't actually anything that you guys put together? No. You know, this is like, I think part. Oh, sorry, Mike. Do you mind if no, I no. one question? Go ahead, okay. go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's going to be like um, that, that game on this spot. It's going to be kind of fun. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, it seems like uh, what we were excited about is that it also a lot of festival programmers kind of understood the whole roadshow that kind of could be made of Antrim and different festival programmers had their own ideas about what we could do. Another fun one was in San Francisco. As you know, that in the opening documentary of the film, there's this portion where it talks about the film that screened in, in San Francisco in the, in the 90s. And um, I don't want to give too much away. I don't know how much your listeners know about it. But the point is, there's something to do with the popcorn being drugged. And so the festival programmers in San Francisco, that was the unnamed footage fest, they handed out free bags of popcorn <laughs> to everyone walking in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was kind of given by a guy who I think was directed to be a little bit sketchy in how he was, <laughs> how he was handing it out. But they were all like free popcorn, so what? So everyone's in the in the theater there. They're eating the popcorn. When it got to that portion of like the popcorn was laced with lysergic acid diethylamide, there was this collective like freeze. <laughs> Not a single bite of popcorn. People looking down at. And then this awkward laughter. And I think people really like that whole aspect of it, that it's like, this is a, this is a haunted house. Mike and I wanted to build a haunted house that people could, could go to and, and enjoy. And, and this is kind of something that, again, blends where the film ends and where reality begins. Calling it a haunted yeah, house this... is the perfect description. <laughs> yeah, cool. And there was that one time, Dave, that you and I kind of took that, that theme of our work Maybe a little too uncomfortably too far though in Brooklyn. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was we, that was pretty funny. We uh, we had decided in Brooklyn because it was at that time it was our premiere, um, and David and I were going to be able to attend together, which we were very excited about. And we had decided going into that film festival that we were going to handle the Q and A after the premiere totally in character. So we weren't Dave and Mike the people who had made this horror movie that everybody just watched were just Dave and Mike, the producers of the documentary. And we're just re-releasing <laughs> this old movie we found. That's great. And uh, we had spent, we were up so late the night before the premiere, like so nervous <laughs> and so unable to sleep rehearsing like every possible scenario of questions we could be asked and how we would have to rephrase them, you know, and how we'd have to deal with like handling the questions in character. Wow. And and I, well, have to, I, mean, I have to add, uh, I have to add, in an effort to relax, we smoked a little weed, and that just made all the all the anxiety ten times worse. Of course. <laughs> it never works the way you want it to. <laughs> yeah, and, and like, the one scenario that we always kind of avoided in our role-playing was the scenario where an audience member would get really mad at us for having a, even a, the audacity to handle the Q&A in this way. <laughs> it's, it's never going to happen. We're never going to get yelled at. And cut to the night of the Q&A, we're two questions deep, and oh, an no. audience member stands up and goes, oh, when are you guys going to stop bullshitting? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, it, 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 it went the way it went. It was funny. It was funny. We recovered very quickly and cleverly, and 
I think it was because of that stunt we pulled that we're even having this <laughs> conversation with you today. Because yeah. that guy went home and complained about what we did to everybody he knew. And no, no, at, at, the at the festival, yeah. I got this from the, yeah. the uh, at unnamed footage fest. The the programmer there was at Brooklyn, and she heard this guy who was in the <laughs> audience and said, "Like, quit bullshitting the audience." And he spoke to her afterwards. He's like, "Oh, I hate and Antrim. I hate Antrim. It's like the worst thing ever." And when she heard that, she was like, "Oh, I got to check out Antrim." <laughs> and she checked it out and she programmed it and his hatred and his anger kind of helped us and I think I think we've been noticing that like throughout with Antrim like when there would be some particular people that would like hate on it the hate would be vitriolic and would only spur the interests of other people and so <laughs> so we kind of I mean that's the beauty of horror that it's kind of supposed to be divisive and if it is divisive it will get more, you know, horror, horror, uh, horror fans or horror, horror audience. So it's, it's really cool. Yeah. That's kind of like the horror community as a whole. Like, Oh, you, you don't like this movie. Like putting it on my, top of the watch list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So anti-authoritarian. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like uh, you know I'm I'm sure you guys really appreciate William Castle because there's William Castle mm-hmm. theatrics all over your movie and in, in the presentation <laughs> of it, but it it's almost like the world just does it for you now. Like William Castle just set a mm. like a monster free and it's it's running the whole scene. It it is kind of interesting <laughs> that you say that. Like shy of like buzzing people's seats, we definitely have William Castle uh, gimmicks all over this thing, and and lovingly so. Yeah, um, it's definitely the only press release we've ever gotten that says <laughs> we take no legal responsibility for your health after watching this film. <laughs> but you're right about the monster getting loose because Dave and I like kind of cackle over some of the the way the movie's being received online and the sort of even just outright lies that are spreading about. There's a significant portion of the community that believes that we just remade Antrim shot for shot. Wow. Um, and and in every like YouTube comment or comment on an article anywhere, there's always someone saying in response to someone saying, ah, oh, this is like the I hate this kind of marketing. And someone else is like, it's not it's not just fake, man. There's like a remake. This is a remake. There's an original one out there. We got to find it. Wow. It's weird how it's just totally weird and surreal. Wow. I, I think we're actually seeing the like fake news like in operation, you know? Yeah, because those like, are definitely in the same like... way that Pizza Gate. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I was just gonna say like those are probably just trolls that are working in your favor. Like they like the movie and they're yeah. like, no, 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 no. It's it's totally real, man. You or gotta, just like you gotta find it. an internet game of broken telephone. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. But in, in a way, it also comes back to like what we were saying with the film about belief and about bias how people can get into their heads a theory like this film is real, it's cursed, it's shot in the 1970s because we put it there. And now it's just, let's look for evidence to prove that this is real. And so we're seeing a lot of people find ways where it's like, yeah, okay, Rowan and there, they are like still young, so they're not old, but it's a shot for shot remake, that's why. And there is an original intro. And it's just so cool to see how people are thinking and hopefully like, hopefully the fans of Antrim I think will be stimulated by the conversation that people are having outside of Antrim just to see kind of the point of Antrim. Jesus. Sorry, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of, <laughs> of Antrims. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> well, I mean, like, and and outside of all of the, um, the marketing that comes with the movie, which is is definitely like some of the more interesting stuff that's gonna get your butt in front of your TV to watch it. Um, mm-hmm. like it is still a very good movie, and like I think you guys do a great job of recreating a '70s style horror movie. Yeah. How like oh, what, what, what were the conversations like trying to, uh, about trying to build that mood and feel and what were there any movies in particular that you were drawing inspiration from? Uh, mm. Dave, could I jump in on that yeah. one? Yeah, please. Well, you know there were three people, three key production people essentially behind the camera on Antrim at all times. So when we were out in the forest and in the outermost regions of LA shooting this thing, there was just three of us. We called we kind of called ourselves Cerberus. And <laughs> That's cool. the, the, the thing about the three of us was we all loved that era of filmmaking. The three of us were totally in sync about like just having so much respect for the way movies were done back there and, and the kind of existential themes and risks they took with the stories they told back then that we don't really get a whole lot of anymore. And so uh, like when we sat down in pre-production and we were planning our shot list, we like the three of us, we sat down and watched movies like um deliverance and of course texas chainsaw and like five easy pieces you know these like movies that are not necessarily movies would be our an obvious go-to for for inspiration but you know those movies really capture the essence of like what what a 70s movie looked and felt like you know rosemary's baby of course too and we were totally in sync about that and so it all kind of started there and it got a little more technical than that too with like our choice of camera we Mm. We, we shot this thing on a sony fs 100 which after a little bit of research i had decided was like the kind of like most we had to go digital because we were like a nothing budget yeah <laughs> but we we didn't just go you know casually digital and just shoot this on like a 5d like we still made the best choice we could make shooting it on what i thought was the digital equivalent of like at least 16 millimeter the look that that camera gave us mm-hmm and yeah and it just kind of like all built built off that but we it all started with our love mm-hmm. of stuff into cinema so i'm happy to hear that that's resonating like everybody <laughs> sees that in the movie definitely and we also had a like an extremely talented dop he was the third head on the the cerberus uh max he's um he, he's incredible and and like he's an artist and i think when it came down to that and the coloring he like had a lot of touches about it uh he he had a good cinematic vernacular in terms of the slow zooms and we were all very much like aware of like the pacing of things and how films in the 70s kind of like took their time a little bit you like you got to watch it it it, it was a slow burn whereas like compared to audiences now it 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 needs to be like a cut every three seconds so we did wonder if will audiences of today like be really frustrated and bored with the pacing of of Antrim. That was that was a question we had at the time. But um, we also thought that by staying true to that, it, it would be it would create more of that real feeling if we took our time with shots. If we showed the minutia of that life. Well, I think the documentary at the sense. front also really helps that too, because you're you're building up the buzz for what they're about to see, and you're getting them anticipated for it. So. Like I, I think you do a great job of getting them, getting us prepared for what's about to come before it's there. Mm. Um, because yeah, you're right. I mean, if awesome. if this was a Netflix original, you you would need to start with the end of the movie and be like, oh, two hours earlier. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. 
And even aesthetically, like having the the documentary up front, there's something stylistically to compare to mm, Antrim once it starts. Yeah, for sure. That was that was Great definitely point. intentional too. Like we we knew that when we set out to make the documentary that it was going to be it's one of its main purposes was to be held up in direct contrast to when the old movie starts. So if the two of them mm. look too similar, then the illusion is immediately spoiled. Like you're you're going to be eight minutes deep in the movie, and it's like it's going to be upsetting because Antrim looks no different than the documentary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so, and I would say also in, in terms looks in terms of casting, like we, you know, it, it, the documentary has a very diverse casting, whereas we, we tried to cast it a bit more like how they would in the seventies with like two white skinned, blonde haired, blue eyed children. Um, also reminiscent of like a Hans Christian Andersen kind of fairy tale vibe. That whole casting we thought would reflect, the period a bit more compared to now where there's uh, a lot more diverse faces in in the in the documentary i gotta assume too that a lot of a lot of this movie came alive in the post-production and and i I gotta assume editing this movie was fun because you get to add so much subliminal stuff all across it and and even just what are you talking about john uh my mistake (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's that's just what that's just what I saw in the movie. Yep. <laughs> uh, do you guys want to speak on some of the occultism, though? Uh, yeah, where to start? <laughs> <with it? Interesting> <laughs> <question>. <laughs> Definitely, if you don't mind, David, I, I can talk a little bit about the the editing, if that's cool. Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, the, I mean, the editing, it was fun. It was actually, it was fun for the first year. <laughs> oh, wow. We actually shot the movie in 2014, and it, and we had been polishing it after you know we, we would do a cut and then we would show it to some industry people and get some feedback and do another cut and that process actually went on for for as late as I, I think I was probably still editing this movie mid-2018 wow and yeah you know that that's not to say that a lot of the stuff that you're seeing in there like the sigils and some of the scarier stuff like the demon appearances you know, it might be easy to think that we had just thrown some of that stuff in there just because industry told us the movie was too slow and we needed to kind of hype the movie up a little bit with some easy, easy scares. But all of that stuff was not all, not all of it, but the vast majority of that occult sigil stuff, you know, that was that was all done. What am I trying to say here? <laughs> I actually lost my, my sense of time. Suddenly, I was just wondering, was that all part of the original plan? Yeah, we were going to put sigils <laughs> in the original movie, weren't we, David? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think part of like what the villain of the film is 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 basically your own imagination, your own the the villain that you come up with. So by leaving the breadcrumbs for for your own imagination to create your own your own monster, your own I guess means of of your own death, uh, mm-hmm. because at the end of the movie you're you're going to die. That that we needed to evoke that in certain ways. So we wanted to show things that people couldn't necessarily understand but then when you're watching the second part of the documentary you understand a bit more of the context of what you were looking at and what those sigils were and um sigils are a real a real thing and it's basically uh magicians back in you know medieval times would would basically have ways of evoking different demons to call on their powers and stuff like that so they would have different symbols that would correspond to that from and there's a grimoire that goes back to the 18th century that basically outlines the shape of these sigils from which we borrowed and put into there 
So we've also heard theories online that, you know, we didn't like Antrim is fake, but they might have accidentally cursed it by introducing <laughs> all this demon- demonic symbology into it, which is also I love that. I love that theory. So ideas like that, ideas like breaking the fourth wall or having a demon or a character like kind of engage the audience directly uh, and then and then the facade of the film kind of goes back. That's something that always that excited us like during shooting. Um, yeah. We were just thinking about, oh, man, this is going to be so fun to shoot this. But just just imagine when we interrupt this moment with this, like, what the hell is this? And that reality goes, because we all believe so much in the reality of the film world that directors are presenting to us. And if we just tear that all away and it's all of a sudden, what am I watching? And it's watching me. I think it's a, it's a terrifying concept And me and Mike and Max. We were all so excited to see how this how this would go over. Yeah. And um and how? Like, yeah, what yeah. are what are some of the strangest reactions? I mean, outside of the Brooklyn Horror Festival, but that was maybe just your Q and A. Like, what are some of the like, <laughs> most interesting reactions you've seen, either in person or online, regarding the movie? Um, oh, there are fun question. ones and there's scary ones, to be honest. We want both. <laughs> yeah, we want both. I know we've kind of touched on it a little bit, <laughs> yeah. but I want more. <laughs> I think that uh, some some people are are, are genuinely gen, genuinely worried that that the film is that is cursed and uh our film like went viral on tiktok um a few months ago we didn't do anything about it i don't personally understand tiktok i don't, <laughs> I don't get it at Same. all um, <laughs> yeah right like people are dancing and singing that's kind of the extent of what i thought about it but people were sharing information about tiktok and then it was trending so other people were we're jumping on it and sharing their own viewing experience. And then uh, hashtag like Antrim challenge was started to trend and it would be a challenge for people to watch it, but it spread internationally. And I think a lot of people from other parts of the world, like Southeast Asia or the Middle East or, or South America, were seeing this film and you get even more far removed from us as filmmakers when you're just watching this, like this, this, this relic everyone's talking about and maybe even Google searches doesn't like readily give you like the, the, you know, Fangoria articles that we have or stuff like that when you're in Indonesia or something like that. So people, I think became really, uh, really, really believed it uh, as in the literal sense, not in the sense that it was kind of an artistic thing. So we've had people reach out that were, that have been very concerned and some Uh people like, you know, worried that like, am I going to die? Like, is this real? It feels so real. It feels so bad. And, and, well, we were so like, you know, we were in Brooklyn telling everyone, oh, the movie is real. And now we're like looking at these messages that we're getting and we're like, Mike, we need to have, we had an internal policy where we're like, well, if someone looks like they're really scared and like in danger, we definitely have to say something. So we, yeah. we kind of try to calm, calm those people down. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's been a, it's been a bit weird and we're just, you know, just trying to remind people that it is a movie. But the reactions have been all over the board though. Like fun ones. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's very rewarding for the both of us to like hear things like this movie gave me nightmares or I, you know, I lost sleep because of Antrim and, you know, I'm a horror filmmaker today because, you know, the exorcist, I couldn't sleep the night after I saw the exorcist, you know, like when I was a kid mm-hmm. or I saw Blair Witch for the first time, and it totally messed with my head. So, yeah. Well, and mine, mine was The Omen. So both my yeah. 70s like horror films that really like 
just destroyed our childhood. Both cursed movies, too, if I can point that out. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So it's been rewarding to see that, like, um, that experience of, like, kind of my life leading up to, like, oh, I, I finally was able to do that to a bunch of people that I may never even meet. <laughs> but the ones that, um, you know, there have been scary ones. My Instagram, every time I open Instagram and go to my DMs, I'm a little bit nervous because because of the type of reaction some people are having. And I've had to talk some people down from extreme fear there. Wow. That's, yeah. that's my, that's a little much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like speaking on like manifesting belief and stuff, did anything spooky or weird happen while you guys were filming? Uh, David's, yeah. David always puts it beautifully. The spooky weird things that happened were actually like things that like, we should never have had the luck that we had setting out to make this movie. Like we had zero, almost next to no money. And we, when we started, when I flew to LA to make this with David, we were like four weeks to camera and we didn't even have any of our locations secured. I kind of hate admitting that, but that was just sort of like, we, we just like ran with this idea and we ran full speed ahead and we were just determined, like no matter what happens, we're going to make this work. Um, because that's just how David and I, had done our creative work together for many, many years before that. So we were just used to operating on that level. But then, you know, we were also used to things just being nonstop obstacles in our path to making something happen, and especially to making something happen the way we want it to happen. Like, we very rarely get lucky breaks where we get better than we were expecting fall in our lap. And that just kept happening with Antrim. Like, mm -hmm. Interesting. We, yeah. like, so your movie's was blessed, like, is I, what you're saying. <laughs> blessed. There like, were forces at work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, we don't know where these forces are from, if they're from above or below, but someone wanted Antrim to get made. It was, it was too like I guess serendipity is the word that things just kind of worked out in an incredible way. We ended up shooting on a hundred acres of land that we had had given to us from someone that we were introduced to, uh, a really amazing guy. He, he let us do it in exchange for like a bottle of scotch. <laughs> um, actually, he, he let us do it for free. We gave him the bottle of scotch, so we were just so appreciative. <laughs> um, but all of that land afforded us like all the different kind of things that you see in Antrim. And there was a, like a lake, there was a mountaintop, there was like a foliage area, and there was that beautiful like Antrim cove. When we walked in, we are like, oh my God, this is it. And in retrospect, we think back and we're like, what were, what were we thinking of doing if we didn't have it? I think our plan was like, so, uh, yeah. I, I think our plan was to just, uh, what's it called? To just walk into a park and just shoot, shoot there. And uh, that would not have worked out well at all. So it kind of just shows how like our naivety and, and stupidity just didn't hold us back. We were able to figure figure out a way to, to just make it work and um that's uh i don't know how that happened one of my favorite anecdotes you know that that fed into that narrative of just serendipity was we we struggled with like finding you can imagine if three guys post an ad on like a craigslist type scenario because we knew we needed a naked woman to cross the river sticks we knew that, that was a shot in the movie and we had posted these like official acting ads uh <laughs> saying you know it's we're shooting about two hours outside of los angeles and you know trust us it's just three guys in a camera <laughs> we're, gonna have to get, 
<laughs> and of course we got no response to that ad at all and we were like but we need the shot we need the shot and i remember we were renting a u-haul truck because we had to move the giant devil statue from from like where it got shipped into la to location and there was just this like really beautiful receptionist at the u-haul desk who when <laughs> my dop my dop was like she like looks like exactly like what we needed the shot to look like and i was like there's no way i'm gonna ask this person to get naked <laughs> and i i bit my tongue i was kind of like drew the short straw and i like approached her and within like 10 seconds i was like uh i i i need you to would you be willing to would you be comfortable getting naked on camera and she's like yes and <laughs> one thing led to the <laughs> one thing led to the next and we found out that she was like a retired adult industry actress what? and wow. so it had like she had like no problem with it that's crazy so it was just like <laughs> yeah. a series of weird like serendipitous things that happened during making this movie we could write a book we should write a book about it David. <laughs> the problem is if you write that book or you make that like biopic making of Antrim movie, no one's going to believe it. They're like, oh, sure, this is just... We know it was a remake of a real... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, mean, I, I know yeah. it's a chaotic time right now, but it doesn't really seem like you guys let obstacles get in your way. Do you or do you have any future projects that you're currently working on that you can talk about? Uh, we are. We're, we're, we've been working on something for quite a while, working on a series. Uh, I don't know if we can say too much about it because it is kind of in the earlier stages, but um, we're really hoping that we get off the ground. I think at the same time, though, like this is also such a period of uncertainty in the industry. And um, we're uncertain about what kind of doors may open uh, because of Antrim. And uh, we're uncertain what industry the doors will be opening to. Like, yeah. is there going to be theatrical after this? Like, uh, how are the windows going to work? Uh, the production of things, are they going to have to have, like, huge measures now because of the virus? So mm -hmm. there's a lot of uncertainty. And uh, I think Mike and I generally just throw ourselves into things without really thinking about the consequences or the, or the, or the <laughs> obstacles. That's kind of our power and weakness, but <laughs> generally it's worked out well for us producing content. So basically, uh, I guess a series is as much as I could say. Uh, I don't know, Mike, would you want to say more than that? Yeah, we could. I mean, we could say that for fans of our channel, our longtime fans of like the stuff we've been doing on YouTube, the Mr. Tom thing is what we really want to do next. It's like the project. It's our passion project. Like David and I are, are still working together today because we have aspirations to be able to like fulfill this dream of this story that we have for this character so that's what we it's a it's a whole exorcism crazy concept thing that that i won't say too much more about but you know alternatively there's always ideas baking on the back burner like i, I would at some point in the future before or after mr tom love to be able to make my haunted house movie that i've always wanted to make i I, I kind of feel like Haunted house movies follow a certain formula that I want to turn upside down. Ooh. Formula being like you move into a new house and something spooky happens and then you spend the second act digging through shoeboxes to figure out why spooky things are happening. <laughs> and then in the you know, and then in the third act, people die or the demon is exercised and that's it. That's like the formula. And yeah. I thought it would be fun to make a haunted house movie where a guy moves into a house and spooky things immediately start happening and you figure out pretty quickly that the demon that haunts the house has fallen in love with the man that lives there. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's n- now not going to let him leave. Oh, and that's great. <laughs> that's so great. So, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but we uh, we'll see. The, the funny thing is like, that both, both those sorry both those projects were being worked on before Antrim. So just goes to show like how long these things kind of have been percolating in in our minds i mean hey yeah. ideas never die if they're if they were good 10 years ago they're good today yeah yeah thank you <laughs> <laughs> so before we let you go we like to ask everybody what is your dream double feature at the drive-in if you could coordinate your own two movies for the night what would we play uh i could jump on that one first dave if you like yeah go for it okay um, I love the drive-in. My wife and I, we like live like five minutes from one. So when, you know, we're kind of disappointed because the quarantine, the whole COVID thing right now has just locked that all up. But every summer we spend like every other week, we're at a drive-in on a Saturday night. So we're always actually asking each other this question, just very question. So I almost have too many answers for it. <laughs> That's great. Um, but for like a super surreal trippy night, I always wanted to go see a double feature of Jan, I forget how to say his last name, Jan Zvankmeyer, the Alice, stop motion Alice in Wonderland movie. Oh, from like the Eras- 30s? Yeah, yeah. It's a spooky, weird, surreal thing. And, I, and I'd want to see that like up against a razor head. I want to have like a really trippy night at the drive-in. That sounds That's incredible. Cool. <laughs> um, another one would be like, I love old monster movies. So, you know, I've always wanted to see like King Kong. Or God- and Godzilla back to back, the original ones at a drive in. Definitely. Classic. Like full house, full field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do you say it? Packed field? Packed field. <laughs> I don't know. Packed lot. Yeah, totally. Full, full popcorn, everything. Great picks, man. I would, uh, I have to. The first one is just uh, straight up 70s back to back, Dog Day Afternoon, and Midnight Cowboy. Oh, that's a Ooh, good double I, uh... bill. That's a really good double uh, bill. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I love those movies. I love the way they're told and the characters are just like, I don't, I, I just fall in love with 70s characters in such a deep way that I'd love to see that. The second double bill is something that Mike has inspired me for like years ago, maybe like, I don't know how long ago, but um, Shawshank Redemption and The Mist. Ooh. Two, interesting. Two Stephen King, King films, both uh, about hope. Only one says it in a positive, uplifting way, and the other one in a cautionary tale, like kind of depressing way. <laughs> so, which which one do you end on? Like, if if you're curating, how do you want to send the audience back out into the world? <laughs> I would make it random. So every night it would interchange. So you'd leave him either depressed or happy and just keep a good balance of the two. Just balance out the town a little. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, those are great picks. Thank you guys so much for joining us today on the podcast. And thank you very much for Antrim. We really enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank you so much for for having us and for these very kind words and uh, these great questions. Yeah, it was a total blast. We can't wait to check out what you guys have coming in the future, you know, post-quarantine life. Uh, We're very excited, though, to see the world experience Antrim. It's available now on Amazon. Uh, Is it anywhere else VOD-wise? Yeah, you can Um, rent it on YouTube. You can rent it on the Microsoft Store, uh, Google Play. Perfect. Tubi. Voodoo, yeah. (laughs) All of them. (laughs) It's everywhere, yeah. All of them, yeah. So, uh, also, just... 
just curious is the dr tom stuff still available like are we able to watch any of the that old uh, uh web series yeah, yeah, they're all online. It's Mr. Tom, though. My mistake. He doesn't have his doctorate yet. I got confused um, with it. Yeah, he may graduate with something. Maybe in the future. I, it was because yeah, he was breaking out of a hospital. I screwed it up. Oh, right, right, right. Um, yeah, it's all there. Uh, the original series, and you'll you'll be able to see, too, how people's, like, uh, comments and had driven the narrative of that thing. And um, it's... it's uh, it's really fun. It starts as a very swashbuckling kind of horror, and it kind of really ends on a, a touching note, which is something that uh, Mike and I were always crazy about with Mr. Tom, that this kind of slight subversion of, of genre. But it is there, and yeah, please check it out. That would be that would be awesome. Cool. Thanks again, guys. Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. But we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.